4: Well, greetings, Imagination Connoisseurs. Once again, it is I, your Duke of Dope Discourse, your Master of Fun and Wonder, your Viceroy of Verisimilitude, your Evangelist of the Imagination, and, of course, the still undefined, existential Mr. Rogers, Robert Meyer Burnett. And once again, I am Robcasting it, you from the Observatory. you, you Imagination Connoisseurs, you members of this, the post-geek singularity community. Welcome to Observations, episode number 779. So many people today, I got contacted by, well, you know, a good baker's dozen of people today informing me that there is a job opening at Viacom CBS. That's right. It's a job opening. And, uh, I, uh, I was like, well, what is that job opening? And they said, well, Rob, there is a job opening for the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. And I was like, come on, that's not true. For real? There is? I mean, is that a real thing? And I thought, like, that can't be right. But people said, no, it's true. So I went to my LinkedIn page, which I seldom go to, and sure enough, look at this. There is a job opening at Viacom CBS, Vice President of Franchise Management for Star Trek. And of course, the first thing I thought of (laughs) when I saw this is like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, You've got Star Trek Discovery on the air. Well, it's taking a hiatus. You've got Star Trek Prodigy starting up again this week. You have Strange New Worlds, which is going to drop sometime. You've got Star Trek Picard Season 2. You've got Lower Decks. You have all of these Star Trek projects in production or 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 about to drop. And yet you need a vice president of, of Star Trek franchise management now? Now, when there are more Star Trek projects in the coffers than there have ever been at one time, and yet you need, which to me sums up everything you need to know about Star Trek, but that's neither here nor there. It's an actual job that they're soliciting for on the internet. At first, I just had to laugh, but then, as everyone who was telling me about this job pointed out, no one on Earth is more qualified than you to take this position. Now I would counter and I would say, well, there's no way on God's green earth that they would ever hire me to take over, to be the vice president of franchise management of Star Trek. But then I thought to myself, well, you know, they're right. There probably is not a person on earth that has all of my unique qualifications, especially when it comes to Star Trek, to be that person, to be the vice president of franchise management. As Mike Bodden said, he said, well, you know, Rob, the first thing about franchise management is you have to have someone that really knows and understands the franchise. Well, as Many of you know and have heard I have waxed rhapsodic about the franchise of Star Trek, well, pretty much since I was five years old. But just watching Star Trek isn't enough. But then again, if you want me to talk about Star Trek books, Star Trek toys, Star Trek model kits, if you want me to talk about Star Trek Halloween costumes, you want me to talk about Star Trek video games, I could probably tell you about every product Plates, Christmas ornaments. I mean, if you wanted to know about the Star Trek franchise from a marketing perspective or a product perspective, I'm your man. I have every Star Trek book ever published. I have, well, I've owned pretty much every model, but that doesn't make you, that just makes you a fan. But I also have to say that in the mid 90s, I was actually employed as a Star Trek consultant by who? Oh, wait, Viacom. I was hired on as a Star Trek consultant because Viacom did not like the Star Trek Voyager video game that Viacom Interactive was producing, but because it was all the same company, they couldn't have someone from within the company criticize the video game, so they wanted to get somebody who understood Star Trek to come in from the outside and tell them why their game sucked. I was hired to do that position, and uh, from then on, I, I worked for a while at Paramount, and um, One of the great things that I strenuously objected to was they didn't like the fact that DC Comics was publishing Star Trek. They thought it was weird that a rival studio, a rival company, a rival entertainment and multimedia company was publishing comics about their franchise. So they went to Marvel... And they pulled the license from DC and gave it to Marvel. When I was in this position, I strenuously objected as a huge fan of the DC comics. The, they they had two different incarnations at DC. They had the original incarnation of their comic books that came out on the heels of the release of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And then um, when that ended, they re-upped and they did all kinds of Star Trek comics graphic novels, and they did a phenomenal job. They had people like Diane Duane, one of my favorite Star Trek novelists, wrote issues of DC's Star Trek comics. Peter David, of course, wrote issues of DC's Star Trek comics. And then I I just said, look, don't give it to Marvel. Now, Marvel, actually, my favorite of the Marvel series was the Captain Pike series. Now, Marvel did have the Star Trek license post-Star Trek The Motion Picture, but they were only allowed to use things that were in Star Trek The Motion Picture, or alluded to in Star Trek The Motion Picture. They couldn't use any other part of the franchise. But I did write a a pleading, like I think it was like 20 pages, um, missive about why you shouldn't pull the franchise from DC, because they were doing a phenomenal job, and I really liked DC Comics. Anyway, uh, then of course at that time I was the critic at large for Sci-Fi Universe magazine. And Based on a video I had made to honor Majel Barrett at the sci-fi the second annual sci-fi universe awards I was hired by Landmark Entertainment to work for a year and a half on the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas The 80 million dollar attraction. I was hired to cut all of the videos that you saw at that attraction So that was that was pretty cool Uh, and then in 1999 i made a film that was released on june 4th 1999 Now it was a small release it didn't have a lot of publicity and it was sort of pre-internet so not a lot of people went out and saw it but it was it well now i guess it's considered a cult classic not my words other people's words and for those of you who don't know it's the only feature film that i've directed co-wrote and i edited and i figured because this is my this is my CV, uh, this is my this is my plea. This is this is why this is why Viacom CBS should give me this job. This is only one bit of it. I'm going to show you some of this movie. So buckle up, kids. Here's a nine-minute segment from the movie I directed, co-wrote with Mark A. Altman, who also produced, and I edited, called Free Enterprise, starring. William Shatner. And what is it about? It's about two monumental Star Trek uh, fans turning 30.
5: I don't know what you're complaining about. You're not going to be 30 for another six months.
3: Yeah, but I still feel like Bill Gates after the Dow Jones just dropped 500 points, man. My relationship with Trisha was a huge investment for me in a future which was just totally bottomed out. So it's back to a series of meaningless trysts, collecting women the way you do action figures? Okay, listen to me. If I, I, I can't help the fact that the only thing that interests me more than motion pictures is the fairer sex, okay? I love women. I love everything about them. I love their inner secrets, their desires. I love sharing with them, you know? I mean, I'm sorry, but you can only do that through experience. Does that justify what happened to your car?
2: Me, Robert
3: after that how could I not show me oh. Okay, um, just keep an eye on the road, okay?
2: to the left. God, you're right where you should be.
3: Ah. 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 All right, not one of my finer moments. But she did come, though. I'm so relieved. Apparently she was, too. Listen, when I'm with a woman, I know that I'm gonna climax. I mean, it's not even an issue. You know, all guys come. I'm more interested in participating in my partner's orgasm. You know, women become... Very, very spiritual before orgasms. Oh, my God. Besides, as I was led to believe, ladies first. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right, that's exactly what they say. I don't believe it.
5: It's Bill. Okay, just be cool. Don't stare. He'll go blind.
3: And he's perusing porno. All right! I gotta go over there and talk to him, man. What, what do you... No.
5: All around the world, from as far off as the Caspian Sea, people have been running up to Bill and acting like idiots. Why
3: must you be one of them? Because now it's my turn. I mean, don't you want to go over there and talk to him and see what he's like? I mean, William Shatner made us who we are today. But do, do you want to insult the man? Just respect his space. I do respect his space. It's the final frontier. Just, just be dignified. You know, don't do anything stupid. All right. Calm, cool,
5: and collected. It'll make a big scene. Oh, good. I've been looking for... Mein Kampf.
3: Sir, I just... uh, Mr. Shatner, I would like to say that I think you are the greatest American actor ever. I'm a Canadian. Well, then may i just say that you are the greatest canadian actor ever (laughs) there aren't that many of them well if i may sir just say that i have a tremendous amount of respect for your work as a writer a director a thespian and an entrepreneur listen um i i I, we don't want an autograph or anything like that i i was just wondering um what brings you here
6: i'm trying to find something to
3: read You, you you buy books Otherwise, it'd be shoplifting. (laughs) listen, I'm sorry, we- we we don't want- we're, we're not- we- we were just wondering if we could- maybe we could buy you a drink or something. I mean, we're really- we're not the usual kooky fans. No. Right.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
5: help but sense that there's something wrong are you uh perturbed about something uh yes i am if it'll uh stop you from following me around uh i'm having uh, trouble with the story i'm writing okay I sense that. it's That's the worst. I get the same thing myself. Are you a writer? Yes, actually. No. Are oh, are you yeah. really? Is that yeah. block the worst thing? Absolutely. Just I, oh, we yeah. discuss yeah. it just all the time. We can't do anything. We're if actually both industry professionals. Uh-huh. Yeah, I work over
3: really? at, uh, at uh, Full Eclipse. Really?
6: Yeah. Are you uh, a uh, uh, higher up, a big muckety muck? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just
3: you... uh, directed um, a little thing it's called Beach Babe Bimbo. Uh, no, it's funny. I was over there
5: this morning pitching my latest opus, Brady Killer, and. Looks like it's going to be a go, Oh, congratulations. That's great, that's great. I've got an idea, you know. It's a musical version of Julius Caesar. I want to do the complete text, like Brannock did with him. I got it all worked out, man. Won't that be a little long? There'll be three intermissions. Who do you see starring in it? Well, I'll play Julius Caesar and all the other parts, too. I'll play uh, Cassius uh, with a beard, and uh, Lucius uh, with a long robe, and Trebonius a hat, and a full suit of armor for Mark So you're gonna play all of the roles yourself? Well, I can't play Calpurnia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I, I thought we'd get uh, Sharon Stone for that. She actually could be a little difficult to get. Oh, uh, thank you. Well, then uh, we'll uh, g- get uh,
5: uh, Heather Locklear. I know Heather. She'd be, she'd, she'd be If you play both Caesar and Brutus, won't you have to stab yourself in the back? I've done it before.
7: <sighs>
5: Can't you just see him? William Shakespeare and William Shatner season
3: uh, Listen, can we uh, can we get you another drink? No, 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 no. One's enough. Mm.
1: Oh. I got it.
5: Go. Um. Listen, Bill, call me. I might be able to help you with this. I uh, I know people. Could I get your car Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, your your business.
6: Well, I mean, um, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your money.
4: (laughs) I mean, okay, that was incredibly self-aggrandizing, egomaniacal, narcissistic, but still, it's fucking great, right? It's Bill Shatner. And, uh, in terms of franchise management, I just want to point out that we did get him to be in this movie. And uh, that proves I can get things done if I need to. Now, after uh, Free Enterprise, my uh, next the, the bona fides that I have to prove that I can manage the franchise is between 2012 and 2014, I worked with producer and director Roger Lay Jr., on the restoration of Star Trek The Next Generation and the HD release of Star Trek Enterprise on Blu-ray. So for three years, my job was to make Star Trek documentaries. And at the time, uh, we were the only brand new programming. There were the the Bad Robot Star Trek movies, which I'll get to in a minute. (laughs) We were the only people making... Star Trek documentaries, new Star Trek programming specifically for CBS. Not for Paramount, but for CBS. We even had two lawyers assigned to us. And um, those packages, all seven seasons of Next Generation, we created, I think, 50 hours of documentary programming. And one of the things that I'm actually most proud of during that time was we were pretty much by the great Ken Ross who was let go by CBS, don't understand why. We called him Big Daddy Ken. He was the Tony Soprano of uh, executives. The man was a home video legend. He started working for Andre Blay at Magnetic Video. I mean, to work underneath him uh, was one of the, well, for me, one of the great honors of my career. He was an amazing, amazing guy. And when we started doing the documentaries, he knew that Roger and I, he didn't just... He didn't just hire Roger, and then Roger hired me. He unleashed us, and he gave us really pretty much carte blanche under the watchful eye of Mike and Denise Akuda to make these documentaries. And um, then he made sure at first we weren't even going to get to interview the cast. He made that possible. One of the great joys of my life was on the second season discs, if you buy the box set, I am the on-camera host for a 25th anniversary reunion of the cast. Now, I have to say, not one of my better moments. I was a little, to be honest, starstruck, um, and I just wanted to push the conversation along, but it's there. You can see it, and then all the work we did, it was a dream come true. For three years, I just made content about Star Trek, but one of my favorite moments Uh, And this is another reason why Paramount, or actually, pardon me, Viacom, CBS, should consider me for the job of franchise manager for the entire Star Trek franchise, is because I know a lot more than, by the way, no one, no one, they're not going to hire me. They should hire me. But no one they could hire to be in this position has done more or knows more about the Star Trek franchise than me. No one. No one. Um, because the certain, I have a particular set of skills, a particular, wait, where's my phone? I have a particular set of skills. No, I I do because, um, my fandom and my professional life, uh, and a lot of it involves Star Trek. N- n- no one has that. And my vast 50 year knowledge of the franchise as a franchise, meaning not just, I've watched a lot of Star Trek, but I can tell you about the product lines, uh, not just tell you about them, but know them intimately. But so anyway, when I was working on Star Trek, I knew that, um, there was a, a third season episode called The Most Toys that starred Saul Rubinek as Kivas Fajo, And, uh, he was not the original actor cast in that role. Uh, the original actor was David Rappaport. And he, so who is David Rappaport, you ask? Well, David Rappaport was a, a, an actor. He was a little person that was the leader of the Time Bandits. Now, he actually shot for one day on the episode, The Most Toys, the third season episode of Star Trek, The Most Toys. And um, he later, the next day, tried to take his own life. And he succeeded a few months later. So I asked when I was doing this, because CBS Digital was looking at the original negative for Star Trek, and I had, I sent in a request. I said, hey, you know, um, there might be some negative, because no one had ever seen this footage. There was no images of it. There was nothing. And uh, I said, hey, maybe, you know, maybe you guys could find if there's any of this negative. So one day I get a drive. And the drive from CBS, here, here's the footage you re- re- requested. And I put it on and it was the entire day's shooting with actor David Rappaport. Most of it was with uh, Brent Spiner's data. And I cut it together. I got to cut together original next generation footage no one had ever seen. Now, does that mean much in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. But I would say the reason they should hire me as the VP of franchise management is because I knew they might have had it. I knew that somewhere in their labyrinthian Raiders of the Lost Ark vaults, you know, they had this footage. And what was really interesting was after I cut it all together, and I even did effects comps and everything, the lawyers kind of freaked out. They're like, what is this? And I had to explain what it was. They didn't even have any paperwork that this footage existed. That production day was pretty much scrubbed from existence because David Rappaport actually did, unfortunately, take his own life months later. And I protested. I said, look, man, this is a a bit of Star Trek history history. That no one's ever seen, and it was the last thing that David Rappaport ever shot. They Paramount, uh, or actually CBS. Pardon me. It's hard. It's hard for me to disassociate the two. If I worked for Viacom, CBS, I promise I would never make that mistake again. But they contacted his next of kin, and they said, "Listen, this is the last work he ever did. It, it, it would be great if we could see this." And it was. I would show it to you right now, but I would get demonetized from Paramount and CBS. They would they be like copyright strike ka-ching, nope done finished. But it's on the season 3 uh Blu-ray set. And if you buy the entire Star Trek The Next Generation uh uh box set, it's on there. You can see that. And it's one of I have to say, it's one of um in my professional career, it's one of the things that I'm most proud of because as a Star Trek fan, it was it was since this is a job uh, interview, a resume, I would say it was my knowledge of the franchise that led me to that footage. If there was any other DVD producing team other than Roger Lay Jr. and myself, that footage would never have been uncovered. Oh, someone would say, well, Rob, somebody might have no No, they wouldn't have. Only me. Remember, this is a job interview. I'm trying to tell people look, look, Viacom CBS. Listen, Sherry Redstone. And I would I would ask all of you watching right now, famously, the third season of Star Trek, the original series, the true Star Trek. You can't you can't everything other than the original series is an offshoot, pure, uncut, unfettered. Star Trek is the original series. And even to the end of Enterprise in 2005 gene roddenberry's dna existed within the star trek franchise since 2009 uh it's an era that i like to call the beginning of the great star trek hostage crisis but we'll get to that uh i'm just saying that all of star trek produced up to 2005 from 1966 if you want to even go earlier and say the cage, the first rejected Star Trek pilot that all of the current stewards of Star Trek seem to think is the greatest thing ever. Um, I, I love the cage, but I only love the cage as it was incorporated into the menagerie parts one and two. Sue me. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, uh, what, because I'm, remember, this is my, this is my, 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 my resume my job this is my pitch man this is my pitch you need to hire me as the vice president
0: of franchise management it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
4: view of the franchise I'm not just a fan I'm not just a Hollywood movie making professional but I'm also somebody that understands your franchise from the very basic DNA elements all the way to the larger picture and I think what the franchise has become now is mismanaged there is a reason why Star Trek is floundering It is not making the kinds of money you want it to and you think that by making a bunch of stuff and putting Star Trek on it is going to lead you to box office dollars, streaming dollars, merchandising dollars. It is not. I ask you, where are the Star Trek Picard action figures? For my recollection, the only person or the only company that has made Star Trek Picard merch well, you could say that there are Picard novels. And you could say that Eagle Moss is doing Picard ships. They've done the Eddie Van Halen Picard ship. But I would I would implore you to ask Eagle Moss. And you already know this. You don't have to ask. You can just look at it. What are Eagle Moss's best-selling starships? By the way, Eagle Moss is one of the greatest Star Trek uh Uh, In terms of licensees, one of the greatest that ever was. And what's interesting is right now we have some of the greatest Star Trek licensees ever. Simon Schuster's gone, but the Star Trek novels, the Star Trek models that are being made now by round two, the Star Trek uh, ships and, and merchandising that Eagle Moss is doing, and and the greatest new player on the block, ExO6, you've got four licensees that are finally crushing it. And I wonder, are they getting are they getting the love that a franchise manager would have to give them? I'd give them that. And I will say this. One of the great things about Paramount and CBS is there is a man, there's actually two people, uh, John Van Sitters and Marion Cordrey who are they're amazing. They're amazing. But you know what? Even John Van Sitters said to me, Well, Rob, one day you're going to get your Art Asylum or D- Diamond Select Enterprise C. Come on, man. Where is it, John? Where is it? Where is my big plastic Enterprise Ambassador Class Enterprise C? Never got it, bro. I got it from Eagle Moss. The Excel version, which is cool. I understand. I understand. I understand, but listen to me. Listen to me. The reason that I should be made the franchise manager of Star Trek is because I will make you more money. And why is that? Because I understand the Star Trek franchise and fan base deeper, longer, more than anyone else. Now, there might be people, I, I, I'm I not saying I could win a trivia battle with everyone, because I don't, I could have 25 years ago, can't now. But you know what? I know more about the franchise and more about the merchandising of the franchise. And by the way, let's take a little dive. Let's take a deep dive. Uh, Star Trek, or I like to call it the Star Trek hostage crisis that began in 2009 when J.J. Abrams, a man who in said in every interview when Star Trek 09 was coming out, he wasn't a Star Trek fan. The man who made a Star Wars movie that grossed over $2 billion, and the next time he made a Star Wars movie, it grossed a billion? The man's, I mean, talk about a fall from grace. Well, Bad Robot, of course, Bad Robot took over the Star Trek franchise in 2000, well, 2007 or whatever. Let's look at the Bad Robot record. And uh, we're going to compare and contrast. So here is Star Trek 09. Um, it has a purported production budget of $150 million. Its worldwide gross, worldwide, was $385,680,446. Now, for those of you who are longtime watchers of this channel, you know that I have often said that Hollywood needs to triple the production budget of a movie to break even. Because of overhead costs, marketing costs. So, Star Trek 09 cost $150 million to make. That means it should have made $450 million to reach break-even point. Did it? No. It made $385,680,446. It didn't make any money. It did not. It was not a success. And you know what? I love Skydance, the company that owns Mission Impossible, and they're financing Mission Impossible and Star Trek. Uh, you know why it didn't? Because it wasn't good enough. And all Star Trek has always been a niche genre. You shouldn't be spending $150 million on a Star Trek movie. You know what you should be spending on a Star Trek movie? Well, now, today, less than $100 million. I'm just saying. If, as the vice president of franchise management, if someone came to me and said, Rob, we're going to throw $200 million at a Star Trek movie, I would say, no, you're not. I'm going to make a Star Trek movie for you for $95 million, and it's going to make four times what we spent on it. Yeah, yeah. So let's take a look at another franchise uh, that Paramount had at the same time. Transformers. I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to lead up to this. So Transformers cost also 150 million dollars. It came out two years before Star Trek 09. It made domestically 319,246,193 dollars and worldwide it grossed 709 million. Round up 710 million dollars. This is two years before Star Trek 09. And they spent the same amount of money. Just, 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 let's just look. I mean, Star Trek, one of the crown jewels of CBS and Viacom. Uh, They spent reportedly $150 million on Star Trek. It made $385,680,446 worldwide. And it had been around since 1966. Transformers, same amount of money. It made $709,709,780. Do you know why? Because they never should have spent $150 million on a Star Trek movie. Nope. That was a mistake. And the person who made it, J.J. Abrams, doesn't know how to make a Star Trek movie for $100 million. If he'd made it for 100 million bucks, they would have seen it as a win. But he made it for 150 million. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, made for more. Now let's look at the second Star Trek movie. The Bad Robot made Star Trek Into Darkness. Star Trek Into Darkness has a reported budget of $190 million, almost $200 million, which means in order to be profitable, Three times its production budget, you're looking at close to $600 million. It grossed worldwide $467,365,246. Nope. Uh, gosh, not a big moneymaker. And why did this movie cost $190 million? And why were you playing games with the fan base, John Harrison, whatever? I would say, um, gosh, someone is not paying attention to your franchise and how much money it's supposed to be making. Let's take a gander just real quick. And I know Alex Kurtzman, Bob Orsi, I get it. Transformers 2 Revenge of the Fallen. Let's look at the money here. Uh, This has a production budget $10 million more than Star Trek Into Darkness, $200 million. Now, I would say, people can say, well, Rob, Alex Kurtzman, and Bob Orsi, Uh, this movie made worldwide $836,303,693 on a spend a $10 million more spend than, oh wait, let's go back to Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, wait. Star Trek Into Darkness cost $10 million less and made almost half of what Transformers made. They spent $10 million less, but Transformers 2 made twice as much money. Is that good franchise management? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, I'm just saying, uh, your franchise management can be better. Now, here's the thing. Is the vice president of franchise management really in charge of the Star Trek franchise? Meaning, not just books and models and Christmas ornaments. What you need is you need somebody who understands the entertainment business. Hollywood. Now, I'm not saying I've worked in the indie film world my whole life. I've never had any great breakthrough success, which might be a point or two against me. But I would say this. I began my career working for Bill Young in feature production at Warner Brothers. I've worked at CAA. I've worked at William Morris. I have produced films for Warner Brothers. I have made DVD special edition content for all the major studios. I've spent years in New Zealand in Australia, in Bulgaria, producing content, movies, and documentaries. I've directed shows, a show for HBO. So, how many VPs of franchise management have had filmmaking experience? Now, you know, whatever. It's fine. Just saying, this is my plea to you. why you should hire me as the director, the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. Let's take one more gander at the third. Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams. Wow, I directed one Star Wars movie that made $2 billion and my second Star Wars movie made $1 billion. He might be the only director in Hollywood whose sequel, her second franchise movie made a billion dollars less than his first movie did. That's not so good, is it? Well, let's look at the third. He didn't direct this one. And by the way, my beloved Justin Lin directed this movie. Not his fault. Still a bad robot film. Let's check it out. So here's the money for Star Trek Beyond. $185 million production budget, $15 million less than Into Darkness. Still, uh, it needs to gross three times that $185 million to break even in current Hollywood accounting. It only made $343,471,816. By the way, the marketing for this movie was abysmal. No one even knew it. it. was.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
4: Star Trek movies should cost $100 million or less. And the reason they don't is because the people that are making Star Trek don't know how to make Star Trek effectively. I would ask you. um, Bad Robot and now Secret Hideout, Star Trek Discovery has been made since 2017. I would ask all of those people that maybe are watching this video right now, look at the books. Look at how much it's cost to make Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard. And ask yourselves have you spent this money most effectively? Have you? Compared to other shows. Tell me. I'd love to see it because no one really knows. Release those viewing figures. Anyway, I'm just saying. Now, I know many of you would say, well, Rob. How would you know about producing Star Trek? And I would say, well, okay, here's a big uh, bone of contention, perhaps why they might uh, not allow me to be a candidate for this job. As many of you know, after I finished the Star Trek Blu-rays, the Next Generation and Enterprise Blu-rays, I got involved with a fan film project called Star Trek Axanar, or just Axanar. Now, when I started, I didn't even know one of the guys, the principal Alec Peters, who, by the way, now, monumental douchebag of all time. Uh, but, and I can say that because he knows. He's tried to sue me twice. He's threatened to sue me again. He's called me a thief and a liar. Bruh. Bruh. Come on. Really? Wait till you see. Never mind. Uh, but anyway, he has. However, at the time, the Star Trek Axnar project was a very interesting project. I'd been involved in fan circles since I was, well, since I was very young. I grew up in Seattle, and Seattle had one of the earliest and most successful and largest Star Trek fan organizations, the PSST, the Puget Sound Star Trekkers. And uh, I would go to their events, and, you know, I was like 10, 11, 12. Good stuff. So, being involved in fan productions was a a good thing. Now, I I, I, very fun thing. And after I finished with the Star Trek Blu-rays, my friend Christian Gossett, great comic book artist, the man who actually created the double-bladed lightsaber for Dark Horse Comics, um, he asked me to come on board and edit a Star Trek fan film, which I had never done before. And I figured, oh, that sounds cool. You know, it's something. and, And while I was working on that project... I was finishing up the Star Trek Blu-rays, and and I edited this short fan film, 21-minute film, which you can go see right now. It's called Prelude to Axanar. Go look at it. It was a it was a uh, an attempt to make a canonical uh, Star Trek fan film using some pretty great talent, and I was really proud of it. Ken Ross, who was the head of CBS Home Entertainment came and saw the premiere at the San Diego comic-Con in July of 2014. I, I thought it was a lot of fun uh, working on it and everyone seemed to like it Never everyone was a fan. Now you can read about the horrible uh, how that project went horribly awry all because of one man Alec Peters. but that's a story for another day. However, while I, my involvement with that project continued, we had hoped to make a feature film. And we were going to make a Star Trek feature film for very little money, and I was bringing all of my indie film experience that began in 1989 on the set of Star, uh, Leatherface, the Texas on Massacre 3. That was the first movie I ever worked on. I worked on 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 films for 30 years, and I um, wanted to bring an. I I was like I was convinced. I'm like you could make an independent Star Trek movie. For a lot less than 185 million bucks. Star Trek shouldn't cost that much. It's never been... Uh, since 2009, Star Trek turned from a, uh, a a small, budgeted franchise. Now, the original Star Trek was never cheap. But the Star Trek feature films, other than Star Trek The Motion Picture, which, by the way, they rolled in tens of millions of dollars of previous development into the budget... Um, but that's another story as well. Uh, Star Trek is a niche product. You need to understand it is a niche product, and you have to service the franchise, thinking that it's a niche project, uh, 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 a product. It's never going to be mainstream the way Star Wars is, even though they keep trying to make Fetch happen over at Viacom CBS. You will not, and until you understand that Star Trek is a niche product. You will never make the kind of money with the franchise that you should, and that's why you need somebody who understands that. Now, I just want to show you a, a, a glimpse of what I was doing. What I'm about to show you totally, uh, even though Alec wants to inflate it and say it costs twenty thousand dollars, what I'm going to show you costs about thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars. I don't know because I never saw the books, but. So what this was, was my, this was my proof of concept um, for the Star Trek Axanar feature film that I ended up as the director of. I inherited that position. It was never made. But I directed one scene from this, which I co-wrote with Bill Hunt. Alec Peters did not write this scene. Um, I designed it all, directed it, cut it, produced it, and worked with, Tobias Richter and the Lightworks uh, to make it the effects company in Germany. Now, what you're going to see is what I'm about to show you is the Vulcan scene. It's called the Vulcan scene. You're going to see what it looked like when we shot it. We had all we had in a parking lot was a 20 foot by 20 foot green screen. And that was it. And we shot it in an afternoon. And it stars Gary Graham uh, coming back to play Saval from Enterprise, and it stars uh, Kim uh, Fitzgerald, who's a good friend of mine, married to one of my favorite people in the world, David Starzik. And Anna Alexander, the original actress that I had cast in this role, um, had strep throat. And at 9pm, the night before we shot this, I called Kim and I said, listen, I need an actress. And uh, can you come in? And I need you there at 6 a.m. for makeup. So what you're going to see is, at first, you're going to see the Vulcan scene as it was shot, without any visual effects or anything. And then you'll see the finished product that I was in complete control over. I work with Tobias Richter to create. You'll see Vulcan ships. Uh, I put together the animated series with the movies, with the original series. You'll see a lot of, if you're a Star Trek fan... You're going to see a lot of stuff, Um, and uh, no one's actually, I don't know if many people have seen this, but so at first you're going to see what it looked like in its rough cut without any visual effects, then you'll see the finished scene. Hopefully you'll dig it.
2: I sense your disapproval, Saval. Forgive me if I cause offense.
7: There is no offense when none is taken to We've known each other far too long for that. I fear the Council is making a grave mistake.
2: The vote is cast. Ratification, but a mere formality. Vulcan will secede from the Federation.
7: Minister, the Klingons began this war to shatter the Federation. Our exit will ensure that outcome.
2: Will not our exit end the war, and thus bring peace with
7: the Klingons? Peace is not their goal. If Vulcan secedes, other member worlds will follow. Divided, we will all fall to the Empire.
2: But what good is a Federation that does not listen to us? We warned the humans that reckless expansion would provoke the Klingons. Why do you favor them so When
7: our people were lost, it was the humans who led us back to the teachings of Serac. They have united us, world upon world, in common purpose.
2: Your connection to them goes beyond logic.
7: Perhaps, humans are impulsive. They ride the tempest of their emotions, but they grow stronger doing so. No other race has accomplished so much in so short a time we can learn from
2: you must inform Earth that the Council's decision will soon be final.
7: You must help me change the Council's mind. We cannot abandon the Federation to Lyra. We must build a better future together. The chaos builds only.
2: your disapproval, Saval. Forgive me if I cause offense.
7: There is no offense when none is taken to Lira. We've known each other far too long for that. I fear the Council is making a grave mistake.
2: The vote is cast. Ratification, but a mere formality. Vulcan will secede from the Federation.
7: Minister, the Klingons began this war to shatter the Federation. Our exit will ensure that outcome.
2: Will not our exit end the war and thus bring peace with the Klingons?
7: Peace is not their goal. If Vulcan secedes, other member worlds will follow. Divided, we will all fall to the Empire. But
2: what good is a federation that does not listen to us? We warned the humans that reckless expansion would provoke the Klingons. Why do you favor them, Saval? So
7: when our people were lost, it was the humans who led us back to the teachings of Serac. They have united us, world upon world, in common purpose.
2: Your connection to them goes beyond logic.
7: Perhaps. Humans are impulsive. They ride the tempest of their emotions. But they grow stronger doing so. No other race has accomplished so much in so short a time. We could learn from them.
2: You must inform Earth that the Council's decision will soon be final.
7: You must help me change the Council's mind. We cannot abandon the Federation to Lyra. We must build a better future together. For chaos builds only darkness.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and
2: conditions apply. See website for details.
4: So, that was the Vulcan scene that we shot in an afternoon in a parking lot with one 20 foot by 20 foot green screen. Um, now, what was interesting about that was I work with Tobias Richter and his company, The Lightworks, who did all of the acts in our visual effects. One of the interesting things about doing that scene was obviously we're in a virtual environment. And one of the things that I wanted was to use natural sunlight to light that sequence. So as the sun went across the sky, we had to move the green screen. So the sun was always coming down over the left shoulder of uh, Talera. And the thing is, uh, Talera, by the way, was a character from... Margaret Wanderer Bonano's Star Trek novel, The Strangers Strangers from the Sky. Come on. That's a deep cut. And um they're married. Uh to me that was that was a Vulcan marital spat you saw. And the reason, because Vulcans are touch telepaths, when she touches him on the shoulder, and the reason he is because that's a big deal. If a Vulcan touches another Vulcan and and there's that intimacy there, I wanted to show all of that. All of that was in this three-minute sequence. So, again, I'm applying for the job of VP of franchise of, of of the Star Trek franchise, basically. But by the way, I would ask if I was hired for this that I get oversight over all the scripts. They have to be sent to me, and I get to do notes
7: <laughs>
4: because I really think that the Star Trek brand has been damaged. It's really been damaged. And if you don't think so, look at the numbers. I I think the the numbers of the films are the most damning, but they know. What they're trying to do with Star Trek is they're trying to create a Star Trek brand. But they're trying to make it in such a way that they're they're equating it to Star Wars or Spider-Man, Marvel, whatever. You can't do that with Star Trek it's not the same kind of thing and and the thinking is that Star Trek is a brand so let's treat it as a brand it's not a brand like any other brand it is a very singular specific kind of brand that interests a specific kind of person that's how it needs to be treated and it isn't generic And anyone who is the Vice President of Franchise Management of Star Trek needs to understand that. And I'm telling you, of all the candidates out there, I'm the one that should get that job. And if you want more reasons, I'm happy to give them to you. But, by the way, they're never going to hire me because I've been incredibly critical of how the brand has been mismanaged since 2009. And by the way, the numbers prove it. The numbers prove it. Let me ask you, where are the Star Trek figures, uh, even Playmates botched it? Can you buy a model of the JJ Enterprise in the United States? Well, you can soon, but you haven't been able to. The only way you could get a model kit of the Starship Enterprise from the 2009 and 2012 Star Trek Into Darkness was to buy it from Ravel, Germany. This is why the Star Trek brand has not been managed well. I would say, put me, put me in, coach. Give me that job. I will completely renovate what Star Trek is. I will make sure that your Star Trek brand will make money. And in terms of the next Star Trek movie, which rumor has it, J.J. Abrams is going to direct? Is that true? Let me tell you. Here's what I would do. Do you know what the next Star Trek movie, as a matter of fact, do you know what the next Star Trek trilogy should be? Here it is. I'll tell you. And you already own it. It is the Eric Jedrinson Star Trek The Beginning script. Someone's calling me. Yeah. It takes place eight years after the end of Enterprise and deals with the outbreak of the Romulan War. Now, the Eric Jedrinson script, Star Trek The Beginning, Paramount owns it. It was done when Kerry McCluggage ran Paramount, and then it was scrapped after he was, well, deposed. So it never got made. It should have been made. And I'll tell you, Eric Jedrinson's script is pretty great. And it's the beginning of what he called his Odyssey, Iliad, and he laughed. He didn't know what the third part would be. But here's what I would do, Paramount. You hire me to be your VP of franchise development. I'm going to put Star Trek The Beginning, Eric Jedrinson's script, into play. And we're going to make it for $95 million. That's what we're going to make it for. And you know what? You're going to release it theatrically. I guarantee you we're going to make $500 million. How do I know that? Because I'm fucking awesome, that's why. And you people have been mismanaging Star Trek since you hired Bad Robot and had a director who went on every fucking interview and said, you know, I never liked Star Trek. It was too intellectual. Jesus Christ. If I went if I went up for any job and said that, I'd never got it. But hey, I understand, Bad Robot, whatever. This is my plea to you. Your job that you've put on LinkedIn, Linked fucking in. For fuck's sake, anybody can... Really? LinkedIn. VP of Franchise Management for Star Trek is on fucking LinkedIn? Unbelievable. I mean, my God, Sherry Redstone. Really? Really? Like any yo-yo? I'm not... No offense. But seriously, man. You guys are putting up a job... An invitation, director of, of vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. It's on LinkedIn. Yo, yo, man. I mean, on your website, look at this just in case people don't believe me. Here it is, VP of franchise management, Star Trek. Come on, really, really. Corporate America. You know, we need smart, knowledgeable people to forge the future. Like the Sword Excalibur or Mandalorian Beskar Armor. We need people who know what the fuck they're doing. And you know what? No one has understood what to do with Star Trek for the last almost two fucking decades. You know who does? Me. I know. So here's my plea, and I would ask all of you watching this video right now, if you think that I could help the Star Trek franchise out, write to Sherry Redstone, Viacom, CBS. You know what? I wasn't thinking I should have had the address ready to go. I don't. Find it. Plead. Make them make me the vice president of franchise management. And by the way, make it performance-based. Say hey man, Rob Burnett will work for. He'll start out his beginning salary. Give me give me a little. Give me give me something. Give me 125 grand a year. All right? But make it performance based. If I somehow step up the amount of money that you're making every year, I get say let's call it 25%. If I make sure that Star Trek products makes 25% more than they made the year before, you give me whatever that whatever 25% of that is, I don't know, structure it the way you want, hire me, make me your vice president of franchise management, give me oversight. And I mean total oversight. Like you tell me like, Hey Rob, you know what? We'll give you $95 million to make Eric Jedrinson's Star Trek, the beginning script. And we'll see how you do. Because, by God, you couldn't lose more money than you lost with fucking Bad Robot or fucking Secret Hideout. I will make you more money. Yep. Yes, I will. (laughs) Anyway, in a world where Rob Burnett does his curriculum (laughs) CV... Right on YouTube, and by the way, all how much fun are you guys having watching this? Come on now, there's 464 viewers in the chat. I want all of you go to your keyboards, write letters, tell Sherry Redstone, make Robernet. An- and by the way, here's the thing: give me two years. Give me two years. That's all I ask. Two years. If I don't make you more money from Star Trek in two years than you've made in the last, well, let's say two years, but you got to give me some ramp up time. So maybe give me three years, give me a year to ramp up, give me two years, I will leave, put it in my contract, Burnett's out. If he doesn't make more money off Star Trek than we did, and the first thing I'm going to do is I need $95 million to make Eric Jedrinson's Star Trek The Beginning script. And by the way, he only did one draft. It's not perfect. It needs work. Even he'll admit it. I want him to come on. He was a supervising producer of Band of Brothers. We're going to fucking make that script. That's what we're going to do. That's our first thing that we're going to do. Eric Jedrinson's Star Trek The Beginning script. We're going to make that for $95 million. I guarantee you, we will make more money than Secret Hideout or Bad Robot ever had made you. There you go. So, (laughs) what do you think? There's my, there's using social media. Come right out. And by the way, someone is gonna get this job and it's not gonna be me, but someone's gonna get it and every single day you can send them this video, thank you YouTube. (laughs) In a world where I wouldn't want this job now, but I do want this job, give it to me, you know why? Because you can send me my own video and I'll be like, I can do better, I can do better, anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Let's see what you have to say. There are letters. The first letter comes from one of my favorite people on the post geek singularity, Paul from Long Beach. Uh oh. Uh, uh, wow, wow, there's a whole, there's a, wait, oh, wait. You know what? Hang on. If you'll give me a moment, I, I'm, I'm just going to play Free Enterprise more because I'll play that scene again. I know you'll hate it. I'm, I'm going to play it again because I didn't realize that this letter actually has attachments, pictures. Okay, Paul from Long Beach deserves the treatment. So hang on with me. Bear with me. I'm going to play one scene, uh, one scene again. Uh, I'm going to play Free Enterprise again because I need to download these pictures. I didn't realize that. So Paul, damn it. One more time.
5: The musical Julius Caesar
3: is quite possibly the worst idea I've heard since New Coke. Jesus Christ, no kidding. My girlfriend bails on me, and then I find out the man I idolized since I was two turns out to be a raving loon. I can't believe my life. You usually can't believe your life either. Shatner's dementia is no reason to give up the gospel of the original series. Okay, the man that we just met is not the man who invented the corbomite maneuver. Or the man who almost died defeating the Domesday machine.
5: Let it go. Separate the art from the artist.
3: This is L.A. Nobody's ever who they appear to be. Other than John Tesh, who's probably well, exactly who he appears to be. No, 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 I'm sorry. Shatner is, was, and ever shall be Kirk to me. And I need my hero. What you need is a bank account. Oh, yeah, like you were basking in his presence. I know people. You're as transparent as Wonder Woman's invisible jet.
1: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky
2: just about anywhere.
4: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo when we lost track of time.
0: <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.
4: In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Alright then. So, hang on. Let me just get uh, the pictures that I need to have from this... Uh this letter because they're great pictures paul in long beach went to new york city and not only did paul from long beach go to new york city he hung out he was with Mm. Mm. that's right my god can you believe it i mean it's pretty amazing uh and he called me he's like do you have number and i'm like uh yeah i can give it to you i didn't even know paul from long beach was going there. So let's, uh, let's deal with his, uh, his, uh, his letter and his photographs and, uh, we'll see what happens. Hang on. I've, I know it's live and I I don't have a producer on the show. I mean, I am the producer, but let me just get back to his letter. So, um, Paul I'm giving you a long preamble. This better be a goddamn good letter. That's all I can say. Because, um, well, if it's not, I'm going to look like a fool. But you know what, Paul? You've never let me down. So that's fine. It's all good. Uh, I think I've got all of the uh, the letters, photos ready to go. So let's just jump in to Paul's letter. Paul from Long Beach. So Rob. You asked for an adventure. You asked for pictures. You wanted someone within the PGS to tell you a travel story. I am here to satisfy. For the first time in a decade, my wife and I spent Christmas in New York. She booked the trip. She made all the plans behind my back. We had Christmas dinner with her family for the first time in a decade. A Long Island Italian family Christmas to be exact and it was wonderful. First allow me to thank you for getting me in touch with I'd hoped that perhaps we could have a quick meetup and meet up. Be cute. Sadly it wasn't to be. Hell I was a few miles from Mike Alito and she was only a little further away but the truth is it was family time. Have you ever been To an Italian family Christmas, Rob. No, I've only been to a Mexican family Christmas, and it was dope. Um, Four Italian sisters, their husbands, grown children, and new children. It's all about food, alcohol, and full-grown adults screaming at each other. Not in an angry way, but 20 people crowded in a living room and kitchen, just trying to talk to each other. It's magical. Some of these most actually are terrible pictures, but I shared them with uh, mm, to show my joy at being on Long Island. And apologies to her, I wanted a little white Christmas. But Anna and I brought the rain with us. So here we go. Here's a picture. There's a Oh, look at that. Oh my God, I'm so hungry right now. Let the antipasti begin. Oh, yeah, Rob. Cured meats, every kind of cheese, stuffed peppers. This is when the elbows start to fly, if only for one reason. Look at that. The sisters have already finished half of the gallon pitcher of sangria. All of them proudly reminding us that it's healthy. I'm eating the fruit. For real? Okay. I mean, I'll, I'll buy that. It's, what can you say? Uh, of course, of course. Now, what is this? Oh, oh, God damn. Okay. Paul, this is really torturous. Just, 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 okay. Ricotta, stuffed shells, homemade meatballs, sausages, and a quick prayer before we all dive in. Yes, that's four separate pans of shells that my sister-in-law made. Plus, there were two more pans still in the oven. Hell, she can have all the damn sangria as far as I'm concerned. I didn't take any pictures of dessert, but I'm sure you can imagine a huge pile of cannolis. Plus, just saying. I could make a godfather joke, but everyone's made it, so I won't Now, my wife, in her genius, gave us a date in Manhattan for Christmas. Nothing fancy, just a good 12 hours before we had to check out and head back to JFK. Because it's so close to the Long Island Railroad and Penn Station, this was our first stop. Now, I'm not sure if I'm going to get this right, but uh, I don't think it is. But who knows? I have no idea. Uh, These pictures are out of order for some reason. Let me just say this to you, Rob. The damn empanada was orgasmic, perfectly fried, citrusy chicken with a nice side of sofrito. It was a true welcome to Manhattan comfort food, and Midtown Comics wasn't bad either. You know what? I'm just going to rifle through these, because I don't know what they were. We already had that. We have this. Oh, wait. Midtown Comics. There you go. That's where we're at. I see. That's the picture you're talking about. Uh, Watching you drool at the collection these people have isn't your best profile, so I didn't take any pictures. Maybe this year I'll go with you. This is the backside of the Winter Garden Theater. Is this the picture you mean? Perhaps that's it. Uh, I took this one because it shows just how much Hugh Jackman loves his job. He's the hardest working man in show business. He doesn't have to do the umpteenth revival of The Music Man. He loves a live audience, and he loves what he does, especially for the trombones and the big parade. I admire that. Last and least, I guess this is what I already I already tipped my hand. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I fucked that up. But there you go, Paul in Long Beach. Anna and I, quick with a picture in Rockefeller Center. Very crowded. And despite what Marvel implies, there are at least a hundred cops within a hundred yards of where we're standing. We spent a bunch of downtime at the. Uh, we spent a brunch of time. No, no, a bunch of time. It's not brunch. We spent a bunch of time down at the Bryant Park Christmas Market. She bought socks and scarves, and if my wife wants big, comfy socks to help dust our hardwood floors, I'm just fine with that. Anyway, dude. Hope you and everyone in the Postgeek Singularity has had a goof holiday season. It was really special for Anna and I. Cheers, Paul. Paul from Long Beach. Come on, man. That, my friend. What a fantastic photo essay. Thank you so much for that. That was amazing. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, Omar94. God forbid Omar94 uh, wouldn't write a letter. Hi, Rob, moderators in the post-geek singularity. You stated on the John Campius show how Avatar 2 is your most anticipated movie of 2022. That's the movie I'm interested in seeing the most this year, too. For me, it's a bit of a bias since I really liked the first movie, and I've waited over a decade to see the sequel after it kept getting delayed and delayed I was a freshman in high school when the first movie came out. Not to be a pessimist, but I hope I live long enough to see the second film and the other sequels. Hopefully, the movie delivers. Considering how long it's been since the original Avatar, since it would be a disappointment if the movie is underwhelming after waiting all this time, it's also a big deal because we haven't had a James Cameron-directed movie since the first Avatar. Let's see if he's still got it behind the camera after all this time. Bro, bro, can I just say, let me just interject. Why does everyone always bet against Jim Cameron? The first man to make a hundred million dollar movie. People are like, ah, James Cameron's folly. Terminator 2, yo. Then it's like Titanic. Even the two studios like, what? How much money are you spending? Oh my God. What did Jim do? What did he give you? He made everyone a lot of money. And then it's like, Avatar, what the hell, Avatar? It's Gully in space. It's Dances with Wolves. Yeah. And it's also the most successful movie of all time. Again. So, uh, why is Avatar 2 my most eagerly awaited film of 2022? Because I think whatever Jim Cameron has cooked up his sleeves, it's going to be amazing He's been doing the research and development, the R&D for the film business, since 1988. When that pseudopod was in the abyss, you know, the water thing and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio? I mean, when that happened, that paved the way for the T-1000 and T-2. I mean, the man is on the cutting edge. So, and he's been married to Susie Amos for a long time, which means he's pretty stable. So I think what he's done is going to be amazing. Never bet against Jimmy C. That's all I say. Uh, Hopefully the movie delivers, considering how long it's been since the original Avatar, since it would be a disappointment if the movie is underwhelming after waiting all of this time. Well, yeah, don't worry. Cameron did discuss a while back of doing glasses-free 3D, so let's see if that will be the case for Avatar 2, which could give it a boost at the box office or in IMAX. We will also finally see what the underwater world of Pandora looks like after seeing the rainforest and floating mountains from the first movie. I agree. Adding to the bias, I really want the movie to blow up the box office like the first film so I can see all of the other sequels and also because I want the naysayers to eat their words. Thanks and live long and prosper. Omar. Uh, Yeah, I'm with you 100%. Now, Mike Bodden sent me this one, forwarded this me it's from Shakui Lee Visconti. I'm gonna read it anyway. He says, Maybe you don't want to do it. Uh oh no, I can't um, I can't I can't read this because this is a, a business related letter. I'll tell you about that uh, later. We'll see. And um we have another one from our friend Pedro Ferreira. Pedro, Pedro, Pedro. Hi, Rob. This isn't going to be a positive letter, but rather than just being an excuse to slag people off, I want to highlight somebody's concern of us as in whether it has merit. 2022 is sure becoming eventful online for me with some insults directed towards me on other channels. The kind of edgy insults the YouTube filtering should be working on because they cross the line of taste but do nothing about. One person decided to stalk me online for contact details because I kept telling him that I found the BBC adaptation of the Narnia books superior to the Walden Media adaptations you worked on, Rob. Come on, brah. You know, that was me. I was stalking you. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I'll come clean. I was stalking you. I wanted your deets. I was going to dox you online. No, I'm kidding. I, that wasn't me, but I don't know why. I wonder, should I change my username to something that makes me less of a security risk? Doesn't matter, I have people. Oh wait, sorry. You might laugh, but I don't want to step outside my house one day to get stabbed by someone who's yelling, Bullshit! CG Aslan is more lifelike than the animatronics Aslan. Sounds funny. It it, it does. But you never know with some crazy people online. I think we can all agree that if toxic behavior exists... It's with these types of people, but it seems the editor of the Film Stories website thinks better. As you Post Geek Singularity members know, I'm not a big fan of the 2016 Ghostbusters movie. The original movie is my favorite film of all time, and due to my autism, I have a very strong and passionate view about it and the franchise. A small poll conducted over on the Facebook page proves my reasoning that people didn't like Answer the Call because they wanted a sequel and after many years got an unfunny feminist lecture the fans didn't ask for. Film Stories and ex-Den of Geek editor Simon Brew responded to a tweet by Paul Feig complaining about how people didn't like the 2016 movie or it was a tweet about the Game Master revival, I can't remember which, but Brew was offering support to the tweet made. When I saw his tweet talking about toxic behavior he received, I responded, perhaps it was a bad idea to do so, that he had fully supported the 2016 Ghostbusters movie, giving it the best review he could, without looking like a fanboy of Paul Feig. I say this because at the time of the review, Brew had conducted an interview with Feig and had shown full support in favor of the movie. Needless to say, Brew got a lot of criticism in the comments of his review because of his bias. Bias he, of course, denies. He did not approach the interview with objectiveness, so that impacted the review. Brew was obviously affected by the exchange between us because he's just written an article mentioning me in the first part of it as the person he interacted with before Christmas, who he feels is a part of toxic fandom. Come on, man, just tell him you're part of the post-geek singularity. What do we do here? We listen. We listen to people of all points of view. We don't judge. We analyze. We think. We respect. To clarify, no, I'm not the person Paul Feig snapped at on Twitter. I have no idea who Brew is referring to. I'm the person he interacted with before Christmas. Simon couldn't understand how I remembered a divisive review that had been published back in 2016 as though I was holding a grudge, so he felt that was Toxic. My response to him, like any sane person is, I'm glad my memory still works. Otherwise, how can we have various... For- uh, 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 how can we have continuity? Pardon me. My response to him, like any sane person is, I'm glad my memory still works. Otherwise, how can we have continuity? I knew Simon Brew from being the editor-founder of Den of Geek. People there had very strong opinions, but I but, I like various forms was banned because I don't share left-wing ideals. The people who could fit the description of being toxic were those that said a lot of things worse than I did. These people were never questioned by the mods because they were left-wing and agreed with Simon. Every time I was temporarily banned and then reinstated, Simon sent emails about how he's doing me a favor, so I should be grateful. I was eventually properly banned for asking questions and offering a different opinion. As soon as he left to begin Dan of Geek, Mark II, aka Film Stories. All of his loyal fans migrated over. And he made sure to ban my username upon opening the website. Wow. Well, let me tell you, here's another reason you just reminded me why Star Trek should hire me, or or Viacom CBS should hire me as the franchise manager of the Star Trek brand. Because I was pre-banned by Star Trek on Paramount Plus, the Twitter hashtag or Twitter thing. Pre-banned. I was pre-banned. What is more antithetical to Star Trek than pre-banning people? Star Trek has become a segregated, exclusionary franchise, and they do not understand how damaging that is to the brand. I, I believe every person, every shape, size, color, creed, Every imagination connoisseur should be given access to Star Trek and feel that Star Trek is not gobbledygook fantasy bullshit, but actually has real interesting things to say about the human condition. And I will tell you this, Star Trek is not about making you recognize people in Star Trek that you think, that's me. No. Star Trek needs to offer you somebody to aspire to be. Star Trek should be up here. Star Trek should not be on a level playing field with you, dear viewer. Star Trek should make you aspire to be the people that you are watching. Hell, I still want to be General Martok. I might have one eye, but I'll be a fucking badass. And you know what? I won't even be my same species but talk is better than all ever be. And that's okay. Anyway, uh, where were we at? Uh, bear in mind, one of his loyal fans once likened people who didn't like The Last Jedi to members of the KKK. I suddenly don't feel bad at being a part of what Simon considers toxic fandom. I could question whether opening a new website is a way to create an echo chamber. For his like-minded individuals from den of geek but time will tell it's a starry state of affairs but not one limited to his website which is why i've been banned from various places it's not an easy job editing a website while modding so perhaps the blame can't be totally placed at Bruce's feet but i always felt hurt by his eventually banning of me when he knew i had mental health issues or disabilities I wanted the opportunity to hang around with others who had similar interests because having Asperger's means loneliness. I thought he was on my side. Not politically, but someone easygoing and open-minded. Then I realized he was friends with film critic Mark Kermode, and the penny dropped about keeping an open mind about fandom. Fast forward to the last Christmas brew. To his credit, took the comment I made well enough asking how I was. I apologized if I came across strong, and he said I was all water under the bridge. I even sent him a private message inviting him to read any film reviews I'd written. It's a warring chain of thought going on in the article, but it feels one-sided. He gave me, you know what, uh, let's, uh, I'll put this, I'm going to put this article in the live chat so you can read it, so people can read it, uh, Pedro, and, uh, hang on, let's put it in here. Here is the article Pedro is referring to that he sent to me. So you can read it. It's a worrying chain of thought going on in that article, but feels one-sided. Bruce's article in the comments, visited by some of the same lovely people, seemed to suggest the best course of discourse is no discourse at all because it will involve criticism. It's best just to let people like what they like without expressing dissatisfaction or criticism. Brew would rather we let others enjoy what we don't enjoy because, according to him, the 2006 movie meant so much to the people he's spoken to. His thought process would be like saying to you that since Discovery started back in 2017 and the reboot movie was released in 2009, some years have passed, so get over it and stop talking about it. I use the example of Star Trek Generations, but while that film was divisive, it didn't ruin what came after or segregate the fandom. Do we need Paul Jenkins to make a documentary solely about Alec Peters if we are all toxic? Is it possible to be toxic for still disliking something that stained or ruined a franchise years later? Is Simon just cherry-picking facts as he's done in the past due to bias? Also, since he feels I'm too opinionated to discuss films on his website, why shouldn't he take me up on my offer to read one of my film reviews so he can criticize it? Would love your thoughts on this. Kind regards pedro well pedro here's what i would say first i love your letters but you're and you're a foundational member of the post geek singularity you've been here for a long time but i would say this um if you're going to someone else's hill here's my philosophy of life every person is the king of their own hill whether it's an actual hill and their house is on the top of a hill or whether they have a business and you go to their business or whether you go to their website, they're the king of their own hill. And when you go to someone else's realm and I, in my mind, you know, I make, when I talk to animals, I love animals. They're all aliens to me. Every time I, I see a dog or a cat or a ferret or a rat or a bird or I can interact with an animal. In my own mind, I'm interacting with an alien. And it it delights me. I love animals. They're a different species. They're literally an alien, but they're on our own planet. But I don't expect an alien to understand me at all. So what I try and do is relate to them on their level. So how do you do that? You know, you have to understand when you're going to someone else's hill, if you're going to go up their hill... You know, if you're going to Kate Bush it and go up their hill, running up that hill, if you're going to do that, if you're going to be a Cape Bush and go do that, you have to abide by the rules of whatever hill you've gone to. And you can't expect that person to treat you or think of you as somebody special or any different than anyone else. Um, and if if you expect them to and they're not, then don't go to their hill. I mean, the fact is... We're all individuals and we all deserve respect. You deserve respect, but so does the person who's made a website, put they put themselves out there and they've created something, they've spent money creating something. You cannot expect them to think the way you think. Share ideas, yes. But if 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 don't expect them to accept, you know, everything that you do. And I would say, you know, you've written to me a lot about this. I would suggest to you start your own website. Why is it you're just going to visit other people's? I will tell you if you start your own website, a place where we can have honest, open discourse, and you can be totally yourself. I will tell everyone in the Post Geek Singularity Pedro's website. Go! Let's 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 all go there and let's have some cogent, intelligent, real discourse. Um, you can say what you want if you come to Pedro's website, you have to understand you're opening yourself up. We will expect you to defend your ideas. So look, I say to people, look, I hate Star Trek Discovery. As you all know, I hate, I hated Star Trek Picard even more. I think modern Star Trek since 2009 is unbelievably bankrupt. It's been a cash grab by everybody involved. And I understand the writers of Discovery now, well, well, we finally saw an episode after four seasons. It's good. There's not one episode of Star Trek Discovery that has any rewatchability. Not one. Even Star Trek Enterprise, I think people's least favorite shows, uh, has amazing episodes that have incredible rewatchability. If you don't believe me, go watch Cogenitor, which I think is from the second season. By the way, VICOM CBS, if you want somebody that can quote Star Trek and knows all your episode titles, hey, I'm your guy. Hire me as the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. But I want oversight. I want to see all the scripts. I won't I I'm not gonna just gonna be a functionary. No, you gotta hire me and you have to give me power. You have to make it so I read a script and go, what is this bullshit? Huh? What is this? It contradicts everything that came before. You want to replace the people that run Star Trek now? By the way, the same way that Bad Robot wanted to get rid of all classic Star Trek merchandising? These are the people that gave C-3PO a red arm and the Millennium Falcon a rectangular satellite dish on the front. Why? So they could get money. Every time someone buys a red C-3PO armed action figure, Bad Robot gets money. Well, you know what? As the franchise manager for Star Trek at Paramount, that bullshit wouldn't fly with me. I'd be, fuck off. And by the way, uh, if you guys decide to make a Star Trek video game, you're not going to drop the ball and then throw the game company under the un, under the table like you did. Because I will ride roughshod over you, motherfuckers, because it's our franchise, and I know better than you as vice president of the Star Trek franchise. I must have ultimate power. Let me deal with it. You know why? And by the way, like I said, proof is in the pudding. If I don't make you money, and I will, if I don't make you money, I will walk away. No severance, nothing. Because I need a good upfront payment, let's face it. But, you make me vice president of the Star Trek franchise, I will make you more fucking money than anyone who's worked on Star Trek since 2009. You can bank on that. I put my money where my mouth is, see if I can't do it. I can. You won't, but I could, and you should. Everyone, write Sherry Redstone right now, tell him Robert Meyer Burnett needs to be the vice president of of the Star Trek franchise, franchise management, cuz there's not another person on God's green earth who would do a better job. Just saying. Uh <laughs> By the way, it's kind of funny, but it's not, it's a little bit funny this feeling I have. Yeah, my feeling I've had it for of 50 fucking years. Make me the VP of the Star Trek franchise. I will make you more money than Bad Robot or Secret Hideout has made you. Because come on, man. Uh, let me tell you, what I make is not going to have 25 fucking producers that I'll get sh- 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 paid. You know what I'm saying? By the way, here's another thing. As, as, as the leader of the Star Trek franchise management... I'm not just going to make Eric Jedrinson's Star Trek The Beginning script that is a sequel to the Enterprise series that starts the Romulan War. Here's the other thing I'm going to do. Here's the other thing I'm going to do. We are going to make the three-part Nicholas Meyer penned Khan Noonien Singh miniseries SETI Alpha 5. By the way, those scripts are finished and they're great and they're great. You own them. And Nicholas Meyer will write and direct. We're going to bring Nicholas Meyer, you know, the guy who made Oh wait. Star Trek 2: The Wrath of Khan and Star Trek 6: The Undiscovered Country and gave uh the created the story for Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. We're going to bring it back, right? Under my regime of running the Star Trek franchise, I will announce immediately that we're going to make Star Trek The Beginning for $95 million and we're going to make the SETI Alpha 5 miniseries and we're going to do the entire thing for $75 million. Paramount Plus exclusive. That's what I would do. That's what I would do right now. I ask the people that run Star Trek, why is Nicholas Meyer not making the SETI Alpha 5 miniseries? Why hasn't he? Why hasn't he? I bet the people, I bet Sherry Redstone doesn't even know. She's like, wait a minute. You mean the guy who directed The Day After in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan and Star Trek VI? Yeah, you know, the guy who wrote the second episode of Discovery? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, no, he didn't because they took his name off of it. Fuck all these people. You know what? Star Trek has been, 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 been fucking. Anyway, I'm sorry I'm yelling and screaming. That's what I would do as the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. My first acts in the first month is I would bring back Eric Jedrinson and we would have him do some uh, rewrites on his script Star Trek The Beginning, which by the way, you already own. And we would hire Nicholas Meyer and put into pre-production immediately the three-part SETI Alpha 5 miniseries For Paramount Plus. By the way, you're going to get sold anyway. So eventually, why not do it? Why not? How cool would that be? Why is Bad Robot not here? Let me ask you this Bad Robot and Secret Hideout. They have three scripts, three scripts, three finished scripts by Nicholas Meyer. Nicholas Meyer, the man who. Made and wrote. Even though Jack Sowards gets credited for the screenplay, it was Nicholas Meyer who came in and rewrote the whole thing, pretty much on the eve of production. The man wrote a SETI Alpha Five miniseries all about Khan and Singh. Why have they have not? Why, why is that not made? I mean, seriously, Star Trek Prodigy, Star Trek Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds, where you're gonna they have strip mined the original series. Why would you not have Nicholas Meyer coming back and making his con miniseries? Have you read the scripts? They're fucking great. If you want to read the scripts, uh, you can call me. I'll send them to you. Make those scripts. Why aren't you doing it? Why hasn't Secret Hideout done it? I mean, give me a fucking break. The people that actually have made Star Trek that is beloved... The man who made Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, the guy who wrote and directed Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, wrote a Khan miniseries, and they haven't made it. And it's great. What is wrong with Star Trek? The people running Star Trek don't know shit. They do not understand the franchise. They don't get it. With me, as the director of franchise management, as the vice president of franchise management, I will make you lots of money with your franchise because I know better. I do. Just saying. Anyway, let's see what you guys are saying in the chat. Uh, by the way, I don't know why uh, uh, on Monday when I did Rob's Ovations, there were a lot of super chats that came in after I was done with the show that I didn't see because of the software that I was dealing with. I want you to know I've got them all ready to read. So, um let's let's get into that. And just so you know, I don't want to miss a super chat. If you send me a super chat or a tip, I appreciate it. It helps for, it helps the channel go, uh, it helps me go. It helps my bid to be the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. So, let's jump into it right now. actually, you know what, Uh, there's more, there's more, I think, uh, Fernando Barrero, your Muslim uncle says, you probably have already mentioned or talked about it, and I would love to hear you opine on space battleship Yamato 2199, 2202, and 2205 in the original, okay, your Muslim uncle, first of all, Yamato. I fucking love Space Battleship Yamato. Love it. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And I have to say, um, one of the things as the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek that I would say to anybody working on the Star Trek franchise is I would say, uh, look what the Japanese did when they revived Space Battleship Yamato. 2199, 2202, and now 2205. I would say it's one of the greatest revivals or reimaginings ever done. So I loved Star Blazers. That's the first time, you know, I I remember the the very first time I ever encountered Space Battleship Yamato was, I want to say, in the pages of the Science Fiction Encyclopedia that I had in the seventies, and I saw a picture. It was actually of a Gamelon ship, but our gamelos. I didn't know that at the time, and uh, it, and it, it was from nineteen seventy four, and I I didn't know it. I I couldn't, you know, we couldn't get anime in America like that. We had Speed Racer and Kimba and Marine Boy, and we didn't have much else. And there's no way to get it. So that was the first time I ever saw a picture of it. And it was in the late seventies when Star Blazers, and I didn't know it was called originally, I didn't make the connection, Space Battleship Yamato. But we had, you know, Star Blazers. And I loved it. I mean, I watched it before junior high school and it was great. It was the first it was the first serialized TV show I ever watched where you had to watch every episode one story. And and that first I call it the Iskandar storyline, was amazing, and season two was the Common Empire storyline. The Bowler Wars storyline, which is the third season, came out later, and I didn't see that. I only saw the Iskandar storyline and the Common Empire storyline, and uh, for the remake of uh, 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 Space Battleship Yamato, they retold the Iskandar storyline, and then they retold in 22 or 2199, and then 2202, they retold Common Empire storyline, and now they're actually doing apparently. And I haven't seen them, but they're doing an amalgamation of one of the movies, the post the post Iskandar storyline movie, and Be Forever Yamato, which I loved. I can't wait to see it. Um, I it, it kills me that I haven't seen 2205, but I love it. I love the original. I'm a huge fan. Now you also ask me about the live action version in 2010. I I like the live action version. I don't like what I I mean. I understand after Avatar, which came out the year before, you can't have a bunch of blue people. You can't do Little Deslock. I am I am Little Deslock of the Camelot. You couldn't. I mean I get it, but I don't I don't like the fact that they compress this one story into a movie. But it's pretty cool to be honest. To see it in a little live action CG animation, it's I I still enjoy it. I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the live-action film. Um, It just reminds me that, hey, if anyone's interested, if I could make any Japanese animated series into a a streaming show, it would be Legends of the Galactic Heroes, and not the remake, but the original, the the OVA series that started in, what, 88? Uh, It's four seasons long. It's 110 episodes. If you've never seen Legend of the Galactic Heroes, uh, or Legends of the Galactic Heroes. That's not what it's called in, in Japanese, but check it out. It would make the single greatest space opera that's ever been produced if people knew what they were doing. Just saying. Um, so, your muzzle muckle, thank you for that. Dos Gecko says, you're back on the John Campi Show. What changed your mind on Riverside? Well, John godfathered me. He made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And to be honest... You know, it, it takes me forty-five minutes there and back, so it doesn't take up as much time as I thought. But I have to tell you, to be honest, I've done the John Campy show twice in the new year. I mean, my I will be on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. I ha- love it being on with with Kimberly, who's still the most photogenic woman on YouTube. Kimberly and Ray and John, we ha- we're having a blast. I hope it translates on the show because man. It has reinvigorated me, and it's made me so much happier to to do that show. I'm having so much fun. It's just I hope it comes through on the on the on the show because it's it's pretty amazing. It's it's so much fun. So dos Gecko, there you go. Lieutenant Commander Salinga sends in a tip and says, "The problem with some complaints about censorship." The right to freedom of speech does not mean the right for worldwide publicized and therefore amplified speech by private corporations using their resources for free, but many see this as being equal. Um, I agree. I mean, look, our technology, as ever, has progressed faster than our ethics and morality. Uh, We're always playing catch-up. And unfortunately, in the last 30 years... Uh, hu- human history has taken a strange turn, and um, I don't know where it's going to lead us. The fact is, uh, we 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 now, like the Matrix Resurrections was delving into, we don't even know what real truth is. And I, I would say that we got to go back to um, the first truths, like Newton, <laughs> Newtonian, uh, uh Drop something heavy. Comes to the ground. That's a truth. It's always going to happen. Sun's going to come up tomorrow. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar. Well, there's a real truth. You know, the Earth is not flat. The Earth is a sphere, and it's not a perfect sphere. And it's orbiting our sun. Those are truths, man. They're not going to change. We need to understand and start building. Like the the discourse has to. We have to remember there are truths. There are, there are real truths, not objective truths are real. Subjective truths are not. And um, until we realize that, we are lost as as a people. And I don't know what we're going to do. 200 watt Studio says, I think the spell only works on Tom Holland's earth. Like it closed off this earth like a lid on Tupperware. Toby and Andrew were burped back home. I like that. I'll I'll i buy that, but does it work in our universe? Is the Tupperware our universe or just Earth? Because Earth seems a little. I mean, unless you know, magic dissipates like ripples in a pond. I mean that, and again, I think they really need in the MCU to what you're talking. What 200 Watt Studio is talking about is No Way Home. The 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 what is the spell? They need to. Tell us this. Maybe it'll deal with the multiverse of badness. but if you cast a magic spell in my here's how it in my mind, I do think of it like ripples in a pond, eventually it just peters out. But what is the distance? Does it encompass the Earth, our solar system? How many AUs in diameter? If you're a Star Trek the Motion Picture fan. Uh by the way, that's why I can make an AU analogy because I know Star Trek. That's why you should hire me viacom CBS as the franchise manager for Star Trek. By the way, I'll, 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 I'll write you a, a manifesto of what we should do, and I promise you, uh, in year two, we'll make money. More money than you've made with Secret Hideout. Um, and I don't even know how much they made. So, 200 watts to do, that's interesting. Stubb McShave says, so, episode 778, well, this is 779, any plans for 800? Oh, I have plans, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know what my plan is? My plan is to announce that I have been made the vice president of Star Trek franchise management for Viacom CBS. So there you go, Viacom CBS. You have 20 days in which to hire me, which you should do, because I'll make you money. <clears throat> You know, doing episodes, that's as many minutes, are not sustainable anymore. It worked up to 400 and 500. It's true, stubble. I don't know what I'm going to do, to be honest. If you have any ideas, if anyone out there is watching and want to come on, there's people I want to interview for the 800th episode of Rob's Observations. Hopefully I can announce my new vice presidency of franchise management for Star Trek. Come on now. what other, What other candidate would do a YouTube show like this? None. Uh, Mikey Lito says, Lin Manuel Miranda is a slacker. Oh, I, I did read these. In the Heights, Vivo, and Canto, and our favorite Tick, Tick, Boom. He needs to work harder. You're right. He does. 200 Watt Studio says, You missed my super chats. Well, your super chats weren't there, so I'm reading them now. Ron C says, uh, Hello, Rob. Happy New Year. Best to you and the family. 2022 is a new year. Yes, it should be the year that Viacom CBS makes me. Vice president of franchise management of Star Trek. Ben Burnside sends in a super chat and says, Hey Rob, I'm four seasons into the next generation, and there is so much I want to talk to you about. Was it smart to start at next gen or the original series? Well, um, look, I always believe in starting at the beginning, but since you're into next gen and enjoying it, keep watching. When you go back to Star Trek, the original series, just do me a favor don't, do not watch The Cage. The Cage was the original rejected Star Trek pilot. They went and revamped, so here's what you got to do. Please promise old Bobby B that you will do this. Come on, Bob. I mean, Elizabeth starts calling me Bob now. It's great. Do this. Watch Where No Man Has Gone Before. That's the original pilot for Star Trek that was accepted. Don't watch The Cage, because The Cage is reused in the first season of the original series as The Menagerie, Part 1 and 2, and it's brilliant. And that's what you need to do. So, finish Next Gen, but then go back in time. And remember, Star Trek, the original series, was made from 1966 to 69. It is 79 episodes long, and... Do Not watch the cage, just watch when and by the way, because if you watch it in broadcast order, it's going to be what is it, uh, Mantrap Charlie X, and then uh, where no man No Man has gone before. Watch where no man has gone before first, just do that first, then watch the Mantrap, then watch Charlie X. You'll see. Um, but I would love to talk to you about it. Ben goes on to say the next generation best of both world season finale, where Picard was a Borg, as the best TV cliffhanger I've ever seen, Mr. Worf fire dude can you imagine what it was like to watch that shit live the, the world went bananas the whole all summer it's like what's gonna happen oh my god ben burnside goes on to say hey rob i'm four seasons into next gen oh it's the same thing i hope uh, uh they didn't double charge you uh they well tw- maybe they did i'm sorry tell me if they double charge you i'll send you back that super chat uh real lavi says rob you should be the god emperor of star trek Leto II, the God Emperor. Yes, I should be. They should make me God Emperor of Star Trek. But then somebody at Paramount HR would be like, Oh, uh, Rob, uh, that's a franchise that they have over at Warner Brothers. We can't uh, make you God Emperor of Star Trek. Well, how about the Lord of Star Trek? Like Lord Goth from the first season episode. Well, you know what? Why even tell anybody? If you don't know, if you don't know, the Squire of Goth. Why should I explain it to you? You know what? That's another reason because I can sit there and tell you. If you, here's, a, you know what? You should be asking who is the Squire of Gothos? Just what's his name? That should be on there. Uh, don't. I, why am I sending you my resume? You should ask me Star Trek questions. I know, because in the corporate world, it's like, well, you're gonna understand franchise management. We have to do a lot of research. And we have to talk to people about the Star Trek franchise and, you know, what do the TikTokers want from Star Trek? You know what the TikTokers want? They want great stories and great characters. I know it's a little different now. Everybody wants to see themselves reflected in Star Trek. But Star Trek, at its core, presents characters that you aspire to be, not characters that you already think that you are. Just saying. That's why you're not making as much money as you should. Rhea, I am god emperor star trek tom jr jackson tom are you feeling goofed today buddy Uh, tom says rob maybe you should have that job you are smart enough to do it and you bring the passion for space and star trek with you you know what can i say do i hope so Uh sends in a tip thank you so much for that Uh midnight metal coming back friday night you and me and Leal. Uh, Matooine sends in a super chat and says, if Viacom asks you for a reference, send them my way. I know where you park your shuttle. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Matooine, we park our shuttles. Say it with me now. In the same shuttle bay. Dos Gecko comes back and says, Rob, I got my wife to watch with me for the first time. She's impressed by your breadth of knowledge. She called you enriching free enterprise forever dos gecko let me just say sir you have married well i don't know what your wife's name is i don't know what her screen name is but if she calls me enriching she's a woman after my own heart you know what you should do you should take her out tonight give her a great dinner bring her home give her a full body massage and then not demand sex that's what you should do just a, just an idea. Um, just make sure she feels good. She's satisfied. And she can just smile and look into your eyes and say, Honey, I love you. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, some old guy in Hawaii says, I just saw the stream title. Duh. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I hope that's you and you know who I mean. Uh, but thank you for that. I appreciate that. Chris. Oh my gosh, this is tough. You know me. Chris Stenfenlagel? Oh, I'm sure I destroyed that. Rob, other than yourself, shouldn't the inglorious trek Darren and Mark be considered as co-VPs of the Star Trek franchise management? Yo, Chris, it's a dog-eat-dog world. You're already giving away my position to other people? Uh, let's just say, as vice president of franchise management of Star Trek, uh... Mark Altman and Darren Docterman, Mike and Denise Acuda, uh Doug Drexler, and his wife, the Duder, would be m- among my first phone calls. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Just saying. I mean, I know what's up. I know who to hire. Uh, RRTNZ says, hail Rob, I can say why you won't get the franchise management gig. In one word, Overqualified. <laughs> You're just too good for those guys. Cheers. Yeah, I know. I mean, what can I say? I, I I wouldn't say I'm too good. There's always a reason. You know, I'm not the most well-liked person over at the Star Trek camp, let me tell you. Uh, Joe Panora sends in a super chat and says, Oh, Metal One, this scene is badass. You the man. Well, Joe, thank you for that. I'd like, I'd like to be the man. You know, I'd like to be the man. I'd like to be the vice president president of franchise management for Star Trek over at Viacom CBS. Um, here's the thing. Whether you like me or not, whether you're tired of me, I mean, uh, my God, what people have said about me, that I salted the earth, I burned my bridges. You know what? In Hollywood, anything can happen. Don't call it a comeback. Call it giving somebody the job that will make more money than you've ever made from Star Trek before. Because you know what? I... I'm the very person that a franchise manager wants to sell to so i'm the person that needs to know or already does know what they need anyway um Hassan chavez says delete yourself from the internet and go get that job i know can you imagine hr doing research Well, we've looked into uh, this candidate for the vice president of franchise management and uh, we've deemed him problematic on a number of different levels. I know, right? But how many people, I would say this, how many people... How many people that they would ever look at directed a film with William Shatner, but here's the thing, they'd come back and go, whoever's in charge of HR is like, well, William Shatner himself has become problematic. Have you seen some of his views? I just want to say that I made a movie with a guy who went to space. I'm telling you. Just saying, how many other candidates have done that? How many other candidates have a Playmobil Starship Enterprise? Just saying. Martino, thanks to you, buddy. Human uh, Kirk says With a German colleague today, we were drawing from Chain of Command to discuss a major management issue. Love how Trek is serious and reaches cross borders. Human Kirk. That is my favorite. Everyone's like, oh, the best of both worlds is the best. Human Kirk, no. My favorite Star Trek, The Next Generation, Two Parters, Chain of Command, Parts 1 and 2. The very best of Star Trek. And Edwin Jellicoe is the fucking man. He's the fucking man. Is he not? Jellico Forever. Uh, it was by the way, one of the things that um a lot of people don't know, even if you've bought the full box set of all seven seasons of Next Gen, we did individual um discs of the two parters beginning with best of both worlds redemption uh unification and chain of command and all good things but the chain of command all those discs have other special features that aren't in the full series box which was a mistake but paramount wasn't going to go strike new discs but they should have in the full series box by the way paramount paramount home video Why don't you re-release a full series box set of Star Trek The Next Generation and put our single discs, all five of them, in the box set? Because there's hours worth of special features, including deleted scenes, commentaries, and documentaries that are not in the seven season box set. But you know what? There's no one at Paramount that even knows that, which is another reason why they should hire me. As the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek, everyone pick up your keyboards, start writing letters, write Sherry Redstone and say, Rob Burnett needs that job. Write that. Come on, do it now. Uh, Mega React sends in a super chat and then, hire says, hire this man. Truer, word, truer words have never been spoken. Some old guy in Hollywood says, by the way, thank you for that, Super Chat. 125 k is chump change. That's a steal if they hire you, and they should. Well, that's my base salary, but I want performance benefits. If I can make a feature film or a TV series that shows much more of a return than the horrific movies that Bad Robot put out, and people are like, look, I understand. I understand people like those movies. It's fine. But my question to Paramount is, did Bad Robot do you dirty Or not. Did they make you the kind of money... I know... I know... I know Kurtzman and Orsi did... I understand. uh, You know... Revenge of the Fallen. Whatever. They did... They did... They did Term... uh, uh, Terminator... Terminator... Transformers 2. I get it. But I would ask you... Did Bad Robot bring you the kind of returns... With the amount of money they spent... And the returns they brought you... Did they bring you the kind of money... Skydance... Mr. Ellison... I ask you, were you happy with the movies they made? Were you happy with the movie, the Transformers movies? I mean, uh, the the Terminator films. Why is it that Skydance has hired people that made Jack Ryan, Terminator, and Star Trek? And none of them have made the kind of money that they should have. In terms of, I mean, and by the way, if you look at how much money... The original Star Trek movies made based on how much they cost and how much they returned. Uh, Let's compare and contrast, not even adjusted for inflation. Look on a percentage basis. How much do we spend and how much did we make? Just saying. So some old guy in Hollywood, thank you. Uh, Russman sends in a super chance. R&B seems to me you ought to edit this episode and send it to every ass clown at Paramount. The audition was truly outstanding. No one has your combination of passion and knowledge on this subject. I agree. They'll never hire me. <laughs> they, but they should. They should hire me. Rob Burnett should be the vice president of franchise management at Viacom CBS for Star Trek. But by the way, I want total oversight. I mean, I need to approve every script because, man, I have red, notice, red lines on every screenplay because, by God, Wow. JLo, uh, JLo, 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 Flicks says, "I have never sponsored a petition before, but I propose that we get behind Robin Star." No, 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 no. Change.org petition, no petition. I need you to be Joe Trimble. Look, the original Star Trek series was saved. We got a third season because B Joe Trimble organized a letter-writing campaign. Change.org, that's not enough commitment. If you want me, and you should. <laughs> to be the vice president of franchise management. You need to put keyboard to virtual paper and you need to write a letter to Sherry Redstone. Sherry Redstone, she won't even know who the fuck I am. And she'll wonder who the fuck is writing me all these letters? Why all of you write Sherry Redstone and go, yo, Rob Burnett, tell your friends. As a matter of fact, you know, Just print out multiple copies and and put other different return addresses on them. Send it in. Letter-writing campaign. Make Rob Burnett the uh, vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. By the way, when I don't get the job, I don't want you to harass anybody who gets the job. They won't be as good as me, but somebody's going to get that job. Don't harass them. But so J-Lo Flicks, J-Lo, I appreciate, I do appreciate the uh, sentiment, but we've got to write Sherry Redstone straight to the top. Change.org. That'll just be goofy. Don't do that. Sherry Redstone needs to get inundated with letters uh, and make them very respectful. Dear Sherry Redstone, Robert Meyer Burnett is the man who should be, or or write something very eloquent. Make it, uh, remember, punch up. Don't get mad. Just write something great. Say that I'm the guy. (laughs) Ragnarok star sends in a tip and says, Rob, I recently watched The Pirate from 1948, three days ago, and today a fan cam of that movie has been blowing up on Twitter. Gen Z has just discovered Gene Kelly. It's like the second coming of Keanu. Feels like a glitch in the Matrix has occurred. Okay, that's amazing. You should, uh, you know, here's the thing about Gen X or Gen Z. Where are we at? You said uh, Gen Z. The thing is Gen Z isn't dumb and they will discover great things. One of the really cool things that was announced today is that Peter Jackson got all this footage when he was making get back this incredible documentary about the Beatles, which everyone should watch on Disney plus. He's he, he the the concert, the Beatles concert on the roof, they've made a 60 minute film of the entire concert and they're going to release it in IMAX. How cool is that? We live in great times. And if Peter Jackson can can do that, maybe Robert Meyer Burnett can be the new vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. <laughs> Stubb McShave sends in a tip and says you should apply for the job so you can complain about them hiring a complete idiot instead of you. Well, here's the thing I will never complain about who gets hired. You go, you you will. But you're 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 not wrong, Stubble. Human Kirk sends in another super chat and says, honest question, why are you looking forward to Avatar 2? To me, Avatar was the first time James Cameron made a pretty but dumb movie. I love The Abyss, T2, it was good sci-fi. To me, sci-fi and film is dead, not just Trek. Look, I would say this, Avatar was a classic uh, story. We'd seen variations of that. You know, the white savior myth, call it what you want. But the reason I loved Avatar, I've told this story many times. I took my mother in what 2009 uh, uh, when my grandfather, I went to visit her. We had a house in Palm Springs for a while. My grandfather did and then he passed away. So my mom should never have sold the house, but my mom did. But So I went to see my mom and we went and saw Avatar in IMAX 3D. And my mother had never seen a 3D movie, and she'd never seen an IMAX film either. And my mother is a very pragmatic woman. She's not very imaginative, but she's very much very pragmatic. And when when Avatar was over, her eyes were as big as saucers. And she turned to me and she said, how did they do that? And I realized, you know... What James Cameron does is he's a, a he's the the he's the auteur for the masses, you know. He doesn't ask a lot intellectually from his audience, but he touches us on a visceral and 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 emotional level. And look, I'll tell you this: when um, when our our main character has to ride, well, I forget what the dragons are called that whole scene when they first ride the dragons in that movie that is magical fantasy filmmaking and and i think that avatar gets a bad rap because it it's fairy tale quality uh it doesn't kick ass like terminator 2 but there is awe and wonder on pandora and whatever james cameron is doing he's going to push the science and the technology of filmmaking further than we've ever seen it before and he's a he's a classical I mean he's like he does what Pixar does you know he makes timeless films for all of us and I think I I have no idea what Avatar 2 is going to be but James Cameron has never let me down even when he decides to do a comedic James Bond riff in True Lies um I, I loved it and when he writes 1995 Strange Days that Catherine Bigelow directed um that movie had a lot to say so that's why I think I think James Cameron is going to remind us about awe and wonder in the cinema in a different way than something like Endgame or uh uh Infinity War or Spider-Man No Way Home does that's why Sherry Redstone right here Sherry Redstone sends in a tip and says, Hi, Robert. I think you would be an excellent addition to the Star Trek team. You, of course, would need to make nice with Ricky Berman, and I would expect you to join me in a reenactment of the love scene from the Menagerie. I love green Do you. Sherry, first of all, I love Rick Berman. Uh, You know, I was very critical of him during his era in Star Trek, but getting to know him a little bit and going to his house and interviewing him for the Next Gen and uh, Enterprise documentaries really, uh, gained a lot of respect for him. But Sherry, you know what? Whatever you want me to do, uh, I'll rock your world. Just give me that job as the senior, as the, just make me vice president. It's not senior, just vice president. Sheriff Carl says, will be a year ago Saturday that I first tipped you for Andrew Wood's birthday. Oh, somebody just loaded a video of the whole mother love bone show from 88 at the Vogue. And some great footage of Malfunction was added. His alias, Le Andrew, the love child, was actually inspired by Trek. Wow. I didn't know that. Uh, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns, for those of you who saw Singles. I mean, to me, the stairway to heaven of the grunge era was Mother Love Bones, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. Uh, check it out. And you should and get the, get Singles. You know, Singles... It's so funny to me. I actually kind of worked on that because I was working at Warner Brothers when that movie got made and and I would go into the production office uh, on that film all the time and um, I actually shot Cameron Crowe for a video I made for an executive named Tom LaSalle uh, and uh, I love singles and I love Mother Love Bone. Wow, that's crazy, man. I'd love to see that. Send me a link, dude. Send me a link to that show. I'd love to watch it. Brandon Sheehy, our own Brandon Sheehy, says, Rob, have you seen the new horror film, The Deep House? I can't wait. I have not. Very novel horror, mixing a haunted house movie with a tense, trapped underwater movie, which I have a penchant with. Might be slow for some as it unfolds in real time, but I found it pretty chilling. Bro, I can't wait to see that movie. Where is it? Is it streaming? Where is it? Uh, Old Man Shogun. Dun, 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 dun. That was uh, my rendition of Marie Charest theme for Shogun. Old Man Shogun says, hey Rob, after I have my medicine, I like low budget post apocalyptic movies from the first Mad Max to the new Barbarians. Do you have any favorites? I love post-apocalyptic, well, Boy and His Dog. Have you seen a, a Boy and His Dog? Um, that's probably one of my favorites in terms of post apoc Here's one for you. Luc Besson, He of the Fifth Element, and The Professional, Leon the Professional, or La Femme Nikita, his first film. La Dernier Combat. The Last Combat. Watch La Dernier Combat. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but check it out. Uh, Rhea uh, Lavi says, give us Burnett Trek. I know, right? You should. Write in. Write Sherry Redstone. <laughs> Carnell says, one of two, I would love to hear you opine over comic books, storytelling, and world building... With the likes of Young Rippa 59, Danica. Well, Danica, aka Comic Book Girl, we've been on streams together. We used to stream together on Collider Heroes. I love Danica, and uh, I love Young Rippa 59. You have to tell them. Um, I haven't seen Danica since the the um, Collider days. Please consider having more guests to discuss the ideas of Hollywood trends, of deconstruction of classic heroes and villains, and entertainment. Well, Cornell. I mean, I do stream a lot with Midnight's Edge, and I love them. And I've, I, you know what? I would, I would direct you to one of my favorite streams I did in 2021, which was Nerd Rodix stream on December 19th. I was on there with Mahler and um, uh, uh, the Critical Drinker and just some guy, and we talked about Lord of the Rings, and that was, I think, one of my favorite streams of 20. 20- 21. Zachary P says, well, Rob, hopefully the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Well, who knows? I don't know. Um, captain Robert April, longtime member of the post geek singularity. Now he sent me a review. I think he also, I have not watched it, but I think he also is applying for the position via video. So captain Robert April, by the way, canonical, uh, Captain Robert April did appear on uh, the show that wow, when Paramount was celebrating you know Star Trek Day, there was one show that they didn't mention at all. I wonder why, which was the 22 episode Star Trek the Animated series, which ran in 1973 and 74, 22 episodes and the very last episode of the show, the counterclock incident introduced us to Captain Robert April on screen so he's canonical finally, um, and they, you know what, if I was making Star Trek Day, and I understand we've got, oh, we've got Prodigy, and we got, oh, we've got Lower Decks, they don't even mention the animated series, the original animated series, that's how fucked up all the modern, you know, modern Star Trek is all about erasing what's come before, it's like, let's get rid of it, and let's create a brand, the problem is the shows that they're making, and this is not to take away anything from what they're making, because there's a lot of people that like modern Star Trek, and I do not begrudge them this. The problem is the garbage that they're giving us, and I don't mean to if you I don't mean to insult you. This is just my own opinion, but I think that the uh, major grin or look up nitpicking nerd watches reviews of Star Trek. He did a review, or he did a video. All the characters in modern Star Trek are, they come from trauma, trauma backgrounds. This is a very modern 21st century idea. It is the laziest. The laziest of storytelling tropes. Hang on. Hang on. Uh I I uh the uh, hang on. Trauma. There's an article you guys, you guys gotta read. I was gonna do it. Ah, here it is it was in the New Yorker. And uh, let me just put this in the live chat. It, it, it This is all the writers of Star Trek Discovery in a fucking nutshell. I mean, my God, does this nail it. Uh, and here it is. It's an article in the New Yorker magazine. And it was, and this is another reason why I should be the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. Because I can just pull up, I can just be like, hey, uh, did you read the New Yorker article about whatever? I'm just telling you. You want to know about science fiction fantasy? You want me to know about comic books? You want to know about toys? You want to know about home video? You want to know about anything that your audience is interested in? I'm your guy. Anyway, uh, this was uh, in the January 3rd and 10th issue. And I would implore all of you to read this article because this is everything wrong with Star Trek, even though they don't mention it. It was uh, Perul. Chagall wrote this on December 27th, the case against the trauma plot. Fiction writers love it, filmmakers can't resist it, but does this trope deepen characters or flatten them into a sense of symptoms, a set of symptoms? My God, read this article and you'll realize why Star Trek Discovery is creatively bankrupt. And so is Picard. The trauma plot. Because every numbnut who's writing movies and TV now can always hearken back to the trauma plot. Just saying, I just dropped it into the chat. Check it out. Uh, So, Robert April, hey man, if I get the job as the vice president of franchise management for Star Trek. I'll give you a job, man. I am a budding influencer sends me a tip, says, The Matrix Resurrections was my biopic. The movie showed me that I'm willingly accepting my false reality and do everything to live my life through the lens of social media. Nia was wrong. We don't want to be free from The Matrix. We indulge in it. That's why The Matrix Resurrections is a good movie. Um, a lot of people are saying no, I'm no, you get it. That's exactly what the movie was all about. We all want to live in the Matrix. That's why I, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't understand. I, I saw that movie with Polly. Like we did uh, a Rob observations where he and I. I didn't call it a review. It was just a discussion. I really love the Matrix Resurrections because that's exactly what it, it. It's the polar opposite of the Matrix. Was about freeing our minds. And now we live in a world where we don't like our minds freed because life is hard. It's tough. And somebody pointed out the other day that that Cypher, when he, he wants to be put back in the Matrix, when you see the, the shot, I think it's in the um, White Rabbit montage, uh, or, or uh, not the White I call it that, but it's, it's um, you know, one pill, it's, it's the Jefferson Airplane montage. When he eats the steak... It totally is referencing uh, what Cipher wanted when he got put back in the Matrix. So the machines learn like, oh, <laughs> one of the things is they don't want to eat that slop anymore. They want they want um, steak. Sheriff Carl says you can find the videos under the Andrew Wood YouTube channel. The Andy Wood documentary by Scott Barber should be getting a Blu-ray release this year. A must get. Also a fun fact, I was almost stabbed by Mother Love Bone lead guitarist stepson 10 years ago. 20666. Well sheriff Carl, uh the guy who played Chaka and Land. Um she's a very intelligent woman and uh I really uh appreciate her and it was fun to stream with her. You know, I should call her up. I mean, I I haven't talked to her since we were on Collider. Uh I was a big fan of hers, so I would I would do that. God ruler sends in a super chat and says, best case scenario for discovery, discovery handling DC films. (laughs) Boy, that's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'm not one of these people that thinks that they're trying to erase, uh, the Snyderverse. I mean, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, uh, we we got we got a Flash movie coming out, so the Snyderverse continues apace. I mean, I, what people want is they want Zack Snyder to do Justice League two. I don't understand why they don't do that. I mean, you've already got Ezra Miller is coming out in a Flash movie. Momoa's got um, uh, Aquaman two coming out. Gal Gadot, and why not bring Affleck back and why not have Henry Cavill do another movie? I don't know. Uh, I don't get it. They should. Chuck Austin, you know I'm going to answer this phone. My man Chuck Austin. Yo, Chuck. Hey, Rob. How's it going, man? You know I'm live on my show right now, and I picked up the phone, so you now are live on Rob Observations. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so sorry, man. You don't have to be sorry. I just figured since you called, I'm I'm putting you on, uh, putting you on the show. You are live on YouTube right now. Is that okay, or do you authorize me? Uh, you know what? That's okay. I had I, I, something important to ask you. I I really your feedback on this. Do you want should to do you know, it live I'm on the show, you? or should I call you when I'm off the show? Let's do it live on the show right now. Fuck yeah, dude. Let's do it. What did you want to ask me? I've been working on this project, a movie project, each of our first time trying to do it. Right? And
6: I have an idea for one of the casting things. I float this casting idea. One of our friends it would be perfect for this one voiceover. Um, It's 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 probably a one-time thing in in the movie, just five minutes short, whatever. And I said, you know, and then he liked the idea, like my collaborator, and I said, but we don't tell tell Mike until, you know, it's the time is right, we have stuff formulated, don't get the gun, he agrees. Two days ago, he tells Mike, oh, Chuck wants you in this movie. We want you in this movie. And 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 then two days go by, Two days go by. He doesn't tell me that he told Mike that that, he, that we want him in the movie because we barely have a, and the script is so fluid right now. We barely had Act One, you know. I'm like, we might change it up, and we might he might, there might not be that part anymore. We don't know.
4: <laughs> yep.
6: Don't be, don't be floating that stuff to my friend, and then I have to pull out because we change the script, and then I have, to, I have to insult them. You know. Yep. Um. So there's a million reasons why he shouldn't have done that. He didn't get it. He argued, he parried and parried and parried last night. And I'm like, dude, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't have done that. And then he's trying to defend it. I'm like, I'm like, you, you didn't respect me. We're 50-50 collaborators on this. And you, you acted unilaterally on a casting thing. Unilaterally. And then and then he hit it and then tried to pitch that Mike should be in the show as a second character. Not voiceover, but actually in person. And then he admitted that he had leaked it to Mike after.
4: And I'm like, what the fuck? What, who does this? Everyone. Everyone does it, Chuck. Everyone does it. It's totally, it's totally amateur shit. Now, here's the thing. Here, my philosophy of life is, you know, don't put anything about your movie out, even on IMDb, until after it's shot. Because everybody, you know, everyone's like, "Hey, man, we're gonna make a movie." No, you're really not. Everybody thinks they're gonna make a movie. You know, you, you, and, and by the way, you never tell anybody that you want to be in the movie until you're ready to make the movie. Because Absolutely, and that was, that was my entire point. And I told know. Me he got it, and then he violated it. So, Chuck, let me ask you this. We specifically discussed that. We specifically discussed not telling Mike. Well, that's because everybody, when they're working on a film, I mean, dude, it's like somebody writes a screenplay for the first time. They print it out, their 120 pages. Actually, it's probably 138 pages that they think is genius because they haven't got it down yet. But they print it out, and it's it's very intoxicating. You're holding up your 138 pages, even if it's garbage. It's still, you did write 138 pages. It's very intoxicating. You're like, wow, that's amazing that I did this. You want to tell everybody, like, oh my God, I just finished my screenplay, even though you've only done one pass on it or whatever, and you give it to somebody to read, and you're like, I've written the next Gone with the fucking Lawrence of Arabia, and it's amazing, and then somebody reads is that, it. Is that a, is that a movie? Is that a movie? <laughs> no, but it should be. Gone with the fucking Lawrence of Arabia. That That is that is my indicate. That's what I always say to people in my own mind. I'm, I'm giving you a little example. Uh, whenever somebody says would you read my script I, 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 I always want to say to them I know I bet your script is gone with the fucking Lawrence of Arabia isn't it and everybody's going to be like it totally is dude and I'm like yeah anyway it's fine um, I refer everyone to Josh Olson's seminal essay I will not read your fucking script that's a true thing look it up on the internet read it learn it understand it Anyway, on that note, let me ask you this, Chuck, because I have to get off the phone. So this stream is about the fact that Paramount, actually CBS Viacom, Mm -hmm. have an actual job listing for the Senior Vice President of Franchise Management for, wait for it, Star Trek. Trek. Yep. Ridiculous. I didn't know that. Now, if, if you were at HR or you were in charge of hiring this person, would you give me the job? I would say, I'll will say what the professor
6: said in that in, um, in rounders. I don't gamble with stuff like that. I'll just put you at the top of the list.
4: You're a good man, Charles. A good man. Uh, I'm going to get well, off the well, phone thanks, now. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. I'm going to make James listen to this shit now. <laughs> Yeah, make him listen to it. You say hi. Give give home my best and. Uh, okay. You know, tell him we won't get fooled again. I'll, I'll tell him. He'll understand. Have a great night. All right, man. Thanks so much, man. There you go. That was Chuck Austin, one of the greatest people I know. Influencer Psyche sends in a tip and says, I don't want to be free. I want to indulge in conformity and representation through pixels and filters. I have no eyes, but a filter gives them to me. I don't have ears, but a filter gives them to me. I have no voice except on social media, a.k.a. the Matrix. I think that's what we all want the real real life is hard man it's hard you know you know it's really hard walking up to somebody and having a conversation face to face looking someone in the eye we're losing that we, we need to unplug get out do something good Farky 50 um wow Farky 50 I haven't heard from Farky 50 in a while how are you Sends in a super chat, says Razorback, 84, 4K, sell me and any new crazy Australian films. Well, Russell Mulcahy, who directed Razorback, went on and directed, of course, Highlander. And and he directed, um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on it, but I have, Dieter got it for me, but uh, Vinegar Syndrome, Resurrection, the the seven ripoff with Leland Orser, who was also in Seven, and Christopher Lambert. Uh, get that. So, um, uh, you got to get the Australian movie Stone, which is a biker movie. Check that movie out. And and, and uh, Wake and Fright. There you go. Um, but Influencer Psyche, nobody really wants to do that. Um, Ragnarok Star. Well, you, the last thing you said was Danica. You asked me to get together and talk cult movies. I did say that. Uh, I, I Did I miss another one? I don't see another one. I talked about Danica. I said I would do it. And you said I skipped your super... I didn't. I didn't. I, I talked about Danica. We'd geek out together. If we got together and discussed Dune and all of its iterations and your favorite cult movies, I would do that. I would do that. Listen, kids, uh, remember... Call, call and write Sherry Redstone and tell her Rob Burnett should be the vice president of franchise management of Star Trek. I, I want to thank everybody uh, for hanging with me here for one of the goofiest episodes of Rob's Observations ever. You know I'll never get that job, but it was fun. And I wanna thank you for being here. I wanna thank all the members of the Post Geek Singularity. Thank you for supporting the channel via tips and super chats. I appreciate that. I wanna thank my moderators. Lord Toth, Darren Seely, Louise X Sparrow, Brian Heppen. Who else was here? I don't know. Oh wait. I got Darren Seeley. Lord Toth. Did I say Lord Toth? I did, I think. I want to thank you all for being here. I want to thank all of you. All of you, the great members of the Post Geek Singularity community. If you are members of this channel, we're going to have another one of our member chats this Saturday at 11 or noon. I don't know yet, but we're going to do that. I love having those chats. (laughs) I'm sure. I can't wait to see (laughs) what people think about this stream. (laughs) But anyway, yeah. Um, I I just don't have a master's degree. Maybe that they'll be like, well, you don't have a master's, so you can't be that. You don't have a, a PhD in Star Trek. I even know somebody who actually did get his PhD in Star Trek. Tom Parham, Professor Tom Parham, who's teaching now in Florida. So I could even bring in somebody as part of my team that actually has a PhD in Star Trek. That's why I, Robert Meyer Burnett, should be the Vice President of Franchise Management for Star Trek. I pretty much laid out my plan, too. My first year, Nicholas Meyer's three-part SETI Alpha 5 miniseries. I would make Eric Jedrinson's Star Trek The Beginning script, which is the first part of a trilogy, by the way, which will introduce brand new Star Trek characters that you will love alongside new characters. And by the way, Tom Hanks playing the Admiral of Starfleet. Come on. And Jedrinson will finish up He the first part's the Odyssey, the second script, which he never wrote, the Iliad, and then you didn't even know what the third part was going to be. But it will detail the Romulan War, just so you know. And by the way, you guys own it. You people at Star Trek already own it. And there's no incentive for anybody that's currently getting money for Star Trek to get that. Why would they allow Nicholas Meyer to make his SETI Alpha 5 miniseries when they get no money from that? Why not? I'll tell you why. They should make it because it's fucking good. It's fucking good. And Sherry Redstone, you own that. It's already there. It was already written. Nicholas Meyer, I know it'd have to be Secret Hideout and Bad Robot and whatever, but how is that done for you? I mean, really? Let's crunch those numbers. Have you made enough money? You're still trying to make Star Trek happen. You're trying to make Star Trek happen the way every other franchise happens, and it's not every other franchise. Star Trek is a niche franchise. It is not a populist franchise. It's not Star Wars. It never will be. If you want to make some real money with Star Trek, you need to appeal to the niche audience. Don't look at Star Trek as Star Wars, because it's never going to be that way. It's not. So as your vice president of franchise management, I'll show you the way. This is the way. Rob Burnett is the way. And remember, every person you meet has a story to tell that you have yet to hear. And all you have to do is listen. And with that, I say to all of you, write Sherry Redstone. Tell her I should be the Vice President of Franchise Management of Star Trek. And I should be given a wide range or a wide, a a big latitude (laughs) nothing gets made without me signing off on the scripts. Nothing. Nothing. And on that note, I say to all of you,
3: have a better day. (laughs) What's <laughs>